You are listening to a podcast from The National. The UAE and Saudi Arabia are entering a new phase of cooperation. The two countries announced a seven-point plan this week on money management for children, natural crises, emergency plans, and perhaps most interestingly, a joint cryptocurrency. The move is the latest sign of strengthening ties between the two and should open the door for easier business relations. The last two points are related to aviation, key among them providing people with special needs better access to airports. But more importantly, the plan strengthens the bond between the two countries as they look to face regional challenges in unity. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr al-Wesmi. Later, we'll talk to Sarah Townsend about the cryptocurrency angle. But first, we'll take a deeper look at the social and political points of the landmark deal. Rory Reynolds is the news editor for The National. He wrote an article breaking down the specifics of the move and what it means on the ground. Thanks for joining us, Rory. Thank you. So what stands out to you as the most significant announcement from this landmark agreement? So the kind of political and economic relationships and uh, arrangements that the Middle Eastern states have had before, particularly the Gulf states, have usually been built around oil, such as OPEC, and and kind of political organizations as well, like uh, the GCC. Uh, what we're seeing here is a kind of a, a two-country, a bilateral deal independent of that. And you have these two countries, the two biggest economies in the Middle East, talking about things like social integration, how you help people with disabilities get through airports, and talking about things like money management, financial management, making sure our young people are you know, fit to run the household of the future. So we haven't really seen that kind of uh, talk before. We've seen political alliance and economic alliance. So this kind of goes beyond that. And it'll be very interesting to see what, um, what happens in the next uh, couple of months and years. These are the kind of social reforms you you see in the EU, correct? Uh, Money management for children was one of the points on the cooperation plan. It stands out as a bit specific. Uh, Could you tell us more about that? So you don't usually get um, countries talking to each other about how to educate their uh, their children better in this sense. But it's a very good point because personal debt in this part of the world is high. Uh, I mean, a couple of figures, the average personal debt in the um, UAE uh, last year was 42,500 dirhams. I mean, that's quite a lot if you think how um, how much wages vary considerably. I mean, banks are quite willing to lend people relatively high amounts of money, typically 10 times your average salary, depending on who you are and how much you earn. And and I think there's a recognition that um, people have a lot of disposable income and have a tendency to get themselves into debt. I mean, we look at schools, we spoke to schools and education consultants this week, and they, their assessment was no school is doing particularly well at teaching money management. But then there's also an onus on parents as well to show their children that they're not spending recklessly or they're, they're teaching them the value of money in, you know, in a place where financial circumstances can change pretty quickly. Moving on to uh, businesses, what does it mean for small and medium enterprises? So this was an interesting part of the seven-point deal. Um, so Saudi and the UAE, according to the arrangement, will eventually allow SMEs to be bidding for contracts in each of those countries. And, and that's significant because SMEs are really seen as the, um, the way to broaden out from the reliance on sort of the petrol dollar, as the phrase goes, so that a lot of the money being generated won't be linked to oil and gas. So you've got SMEs being able to hear and in Saudi and vice versa, being able to bid um, for contracts. And a lot of those contracts, a lot of SMEs here are usually um, 
construction contractors. There's also an effort, and we, if we go back to the economic reforms Abu Dhabi was announcing last year, uh, th- there's really a broader plan to try and boost SMEs, give them more money, give them more opportunity, because they really are the kind of future. I mean, the, le- the leadership in these countries are quite frank about what happens after oil runs out. And so um, th- th- there's a keenness to, to kind of promote SMEs. And there's also a keenness to promote um, sort of techno- technological SMEs, uh, fintech, for example. So Rory, what does this mean for knowledge transfer? Both countries are kind of saying, we recognize that SMEs are very important and we want to make it easier for them to do work in my country, in your country, and to kind of put down the barriers and uh, to say, you know, I'm going as far as to allow you to bid for important contracts in my country and you can do the same in mine Mm -hmm. and we will share expertise. I mean, because if SMEs don't develop, if they never really get off the ground or the sort of people that that run them, decide to do business abroad instead, then, you know, the country will suffer eventually. And you won't see, you won't see them hiring more people here, investing in talent, bringing graduates out of university, hiring Emiratis. Uh, and, and so that, that's the br- sort of broader picture of SMEs, I think. Also, the countries are looking to create a plan to join uh, forces in times of crises. Tell us what that's about and why it's important. So I think this is a particularly interesting item on the list. I mean, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, relatively few natural disasters, if any. Um, and, you know, we're not on a fault line like Iran or Iraq. The earthquakes are very rare here. Um, but it's an interesting proposition that the countries will work together to make sure that, for example, food and essential supplies would continue to flow in some sort of time of emergency. So if you look at the figures, the UAE imports about 85% of its food, and Saudi's about 80%. So pretty similar. So these are two countries that are both very reliant on the, you know, the global supply chain continuing to run, say, in the event of an earthquake, floods, any other sort of natural disaster, maybe political crisis uh, nearby. Um, but it's also what countries around the world are starting to think more broadly about, even if we are at the crossroads of the world when it comes to trade or ships or air freight passing through. I mean, you see China, uh, which it is rumored to have um, millions of tons of wheat and meat stockpiled with its huge population. Um, the United States has uh, has similar things. And, and so it's, it's a relatively mature, if slightly fantastical um, thing to start thinking about you know, where will we get these huge um, supplies of food from, for example, um, for populations of, you know, say 30 and 10 million, respectively. Two of the uh, seven points mentioned on the plan uh, were about airports. So how does that factor in? So anyone who lives in this part of the world will know that aviation is a really key industry and something a lot of people are reliant on, whether it's travel, go and see family or work directly in. And one of the um, one of the seven items is how Saudi and the UAE can work together uh, to enable access for disabled people. Um, they go as far as to say um, airport staff will need to give more training and that physically airports will have to be able to make sure that they're well catered for, for people um, who, are, who need extra help. I mean, this is part of a broader... Um, a broader push to recognize um, the rights and needs of people with disability. This has been spoken about for the last couple of years, but it is relatively um, recent that this isn't public debate. I mean, we, we see the Special Olympics, which Abu Dhabi is hosting the World Games of, and we see a big push to, to get people, um, often called people of determination, um, as the slogan goes, you know, into jobs, into the workplace. And so making sure that people can access the airport, can travel without that kind of anxiety, um, you know, knowing that there won't be a problem when they're, you know, they're getting on a plane. It's kind of um, broader recognition of that. I'm sure we will hear a lot more 
about what will be done, you know, in terms of infrastructure or in terms of the workplace uh, to get people with disabilities or special needs um, into that kind of arena. Rory, thanks for your time. Thank you. Sarah Townsend is a reporter on the business section for The National. She wrote a story earlier this week on how the move could revolutionize cross-border payments. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks. Can you just give us a little bit more detail on what the move actually is? Yeah, sure. Well, um, the announcement by um, the UAE and Saudi governments uh, this week was giving a bit more detail about a a previously announced blockchain pilot that they have been working on, or at least certainly announced a few months ago. Um, Now, blockchain is one of the most sort of interesting uh, fintech financial technology sort of uh, moves, or indeed actually technology um, innovations that have come about in recent years. What it is, is electronic transaction processing and archive system. It's the underlying technology on which a lot of cryptocurrencies, which are virtual digital currencies like Bitcoin, which is very well known, it's, it basically allows them to operate and be, be traded and, uh, and, and transacted. Um, now, the thing about blockchain is that it's considered a very secure electronic sort of archiving system. So transactions could be um, coordinated on this system in a much more secure way with less fear of uh, cybersecurity attacks, of fraud. Um, it, it's said to minimise all of these different risks. So um, the UAE and Saudi governments really want to actually explore how this could be um, really implemented in everyday life, whether it's by businesses or even by sort of real estate um, conveyancing transactions, that kind of thing. So this particular one is looking at uh, remittances and how banks affiliated with the two central banks of those countries could actually do cross-border payments. Um, so that's what this this one's about. What they might do is uh, implement or, or devise a, a new cryptocurrency, a digital currency that those two banks would use and any, any affiliate banks as well in order to conduct those cross-border transactions. And so what does this mean for the layperson? Will it in any way influence lives if the cryptocurrency pilot takes off? Because it is still in pilot phase, correct? Absolutely. So this is very much a trial looking at whether blockchain could be used in these sorts of circumstances. Because this is a government-run um, um, pilot and it's being coordinated by the two central banks, this is very much a bank-to-bank uh, procedure. This wouldn't actually affect how you know we go to the shops and, and buy products and, and things like that. This is, however, having said that, um, obviously, you know, this this region is is got a huge amount of remittances going in and out of it, and so for people actually trying to send money home, they might find that blockchain would allow them to get their money in a bank in a different bank account in another country a lot quicker than under current procedures. So that's the way that it could affect them if it was rolled out. But at the moment, this pilot is very much looking at bank to bank and not actually at, at, at the average Joe on the street. Could you elaborate a little bit about the remittances? Because I know that's a big part of why this is significant. Sure. Um, in, in this context, um, blockchain, because it's this sort of secure network that allows electronic transactions to be processed, um, it actually can allow for money to be sent to different places a lot quicker than under current processes. So for banks, that's helpful because it it essentially sort of cuts out a lot of middlemen, it cuts out the costs involved. 
And for the actual sender of that money, it also it's a much more efficient and cheaper and faster way. I don't have the figures to hand at the moment, but people are saying that, you know, a, a, a sort of a tra- bank transfer that may have taken three days can now be done in, you know, minutes. Is this the first time a government-sponsored bilateral cryptocurrency project has been announced? Uh, it It is. I mean, certainly um, a lot of the experts I spoke to for this story, they were reluctant to categorically say that because without doing all of their research and just checking, you know, maybe something had gone on in another country that just hasn't been publicised. However, to all intents and purposes, it looks like this is, which is obviously very significant for the UAE and Saudi Arabia. How does this raise the profile of the country in the context of cryptocurrency? So this is you know, a very significant pilot for the UAE and Saudi Arabia to be undertaking, because if it is the case that they're the first governments to do this, um, it really puts them on the map across the world as being some of the only uh, countries that are actually looking at a specific use case for how blockchain could be rolled out in everyday life. And uh, at the moment, various banks in, in other countries have done their own blockchain pilots as well. Um, but that's not government related. It's it's just the actual banks. It's private sector led. So for two governments and their central banks to be actively involved in this and, and spearheading this movement and really putting themselves on the map in this very fast moving cryptocurrency, blockchain, sophisticated technology space is is really very good news for the region. So can we imagine a future where if blockchain takes off and cryptocurrency is kind of the the uh, currency of the future that we would be spending to cryptocurrency or bitcoin or whatever it may be uh, at the store to to buy things is that is that how it works well certainly that's the dream of a lot of the people who are devising new cryptocurrencies across the world the problem at the moment is that um, it's a an unregulated space. So at the moment, no central banks have actually started to impose um, any specific laws and regulations to uh, to actually well govern how cryptocurrencies could be traded. Some are starting, and Abu Dhabi is one of them. Um, they're starting to devise at least a regulatory framework, if not full legislation for it. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, and it is related to this, um, this sort of lack of regulation, is that cryptocurrencies are extremely volatile. So on the markets, if you look at Bitcoin, um, last year, uh, in the year to date, to November, Bitcoin had lost 70% of its value by that point. Now, obviously, if you're an investor in Bitcoin, you're going to be pretty upset about that. Um, so if you're if, if you take that, that's obviously within the, the sort of markets and it, it can seem quite remote to the sort of average person. Um, but if you were to sort of take that onto just, you know, buying, um, uh, buying your, your shopping with with virtual currency, if you've got that amount of um, volatility in a currency, then it's very, very unstable. So a, a lot of work needs to be done before uh, before people could be using their bitcoins or their digital currencies to actually live their daily lives. Then going back to the move, could this potentially mean that Saudi Arabia and UAE would create a joint currency if indeed cryptocurrency is our future as many tech leaders would have us believe? And I know because the GCC had plans of creating a unified uh, currency. So maybe this is an alternative? Certainly, uh, you know, going back uh, 
a, a few decades, couple of decades. Um, yes, the GCC was proposing to have a unified currency, um, obviously not a digital currency, an actual physical currency, much like the Eurozone. Um, how, however, this they they have not they've not specifically linked this pilot to uh, you know to those sort of previous proposals, which which didn't actually ever come to fruition. So we can't really make any links with any certainty. Um, all they've said at the moment is that this blockchain pilot would potentially enable um, or potentially involve the creation of a sort of trial cryptocurrency for those two governments to use, but purely in the bank-to-bank transacting space, not for the general public. Sarah, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks to Bori Reynolds and Sarah Townsend for their time. You can find The Nationals Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audioboom, or your favorite podcasting app. Also, follow our coverage at thenational.ae. I've been your host, Nasr al Thank you for listening and goodbye.